0: you're listening to the Donor Growth Podcast, forward-looking conversations for those who believe that donor growth is possible.
1: Every week, we'll explore a thought-provoking topic to help build deeper relationships with more of your donors. We are your hosts, Luis Diaz and Mike Dirksen.
0: Now let's get into it.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Donor Growth Podcast, where every week, Mike Dirksen and little old me, Luis Diaz, get together to talk about how to build more relationships, but also deeper relationships with your donors. It's something we feel super passionate about, and we want to share some of that passion with you and maybe some of the things we've discovered along the way. And I think that along the way is exactly what we're going to talk about today, Mike, which is... We both have a fair amount of experience, you know, decade, decade plus um, experiences, fundraisers. And you were thinking, what would I have done differently? And that's a little bit of what we're going to explore today. I hope people who listen to this can... You know, uh, can relate to 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 this. It, you know, it's not about regrets, but about well, the world has changed. You know, what would I do? about we're starting today. Is that more or less it?
0: Yeah, My? exactly. And I want to be clear. I don't. I don't believe in having regrets. I mean, all of us have at, at certain points in our life we have regrets. But but I don't. It's <laughs> I so many it, regrets. It's not typical of me to sort of dwell in the past and look back and like, oh, I wish I would have done this and that and that. I think what's more important is the next step that you make and and sort of how you move forward and what you've learned but i think it'd be helpful to just look back and be like hey you know what a lot has changed a lot has changed in the last three to four years in itself Um, my goodness it's crazy and a lot has changed for us personally as well like both yeah like lewis and i we have over a decade of doing this this sort of work but i would wager from what i know about you um and obviously knowing myself that That for us, like a ton of growth has happened in the last two to three years alone, um, based on what Mm -hmm. we've done.
1: I think for a Uh, lot of people, really, you know, from what I've been seeing. But yes, have you, Mike, have you read like those reports where donors are saying that they're reevaluating the value of their time and that that's impacting Mm -hmm. major gift visits? I mean, that just it's. I know everybody wants to go back to normal, but some things seem to have fundamentally shifted. Are you seeing that too?
0: Yes. And in fact, I am still a semi-practicing major gifts fundraiser for a cause I care about. And um, just, just in talking to people, that's certainly true. A lot harder to get meetings. Um, People are a lot more um, judicious of how they're going to spend their time and who they're going to spend it with.
1: So I heard of, of a, very famous arts fundraiser and CEO. And um, he was very proud of the fact that people said of him, you know, if you get a call from Ren, it's a collect call. So if you get a call from Mike, be careful because he's still <laughs> practicing and it might be a collect call.
0: Um, yeah, I was, I was talking to a retired major gifts fundraiser who, who'd done this for over 30 years. And he yeah. said, wow. you know, people would always joke, like, if I call, like, oh, you better get your wallet out. Um, it's like, but they still loved meeting. Um, so after a while, <laughs> I just let that roll off my back. And, and I took it as a compliment, <laughs> you know, because you didn't have to take the meeting. You didn't. like. Yeah,
1: but, you know, it's like in the last years, and I, I hear more and more stories about um donors kind of being so much more to the point and just let me know what you need and then just sending the check-in. A little bit like we saw during the pandemic, but that has changed. And within the context of that change, probably, Mike, if you were starting your career again, you would do things differently. Um, What's the first thing you would do? Like, what's the top thing you would do differently if you were starting your career? The
0: top thing I would do differently is to spend more time getting insights directly from donors, specifically getting insights directly from donors uh, at the cause um, that I was that I was working at. So you know, there's the there's the latest Giving USA report. There's the latest, you know, this CRM put out a report on how donors are have changed during the pandemic. There's all these different sort of reports that we can download. We all rush to them. We read them. We're like, oh, no, it looks like individual giving is down this much. And while major donors took a backseat during the first half of COVID, they're back. Um, And and we all read these reports and try to get some insight out of it when right in front of us, we have donors (laughs) who could give us data about our donors, not about like an aggregate sort of results from donors across the country or across north america or the world and so, 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 so i would spend less time worrying about those sorts of reports less time about worrying about any of that use more time calling donors talking to donors asking them the same set of 10 to 15 questions logging those answers um, and trying to pull out themes and trying to pull out insights that i could then use to make a hypothesis of what might and might not work, then test it, then go back to donors. I, I would do that whole thing right from the get-go, and it took me years to start doing that.
1: Yeah, so, you know, I relate to this a lot. You know, think of the that young, whatever the title is, coordinator, that you were, that maybe some of the folks who are listening are today That is definitely something that's not kind of part of the culture in most nonprofits. Like, you know, study your donors and then aggregate that into some type of report that you push, you know, you kind of push around the organization. It also helps you build your brand, which you're going to talk about um, at least tangentially in a while. Um, And what I was... I was very much in touch with frontline donors because I started my career in, you know, a U.S. higher ed shop that was very much major gift oriented. So kind of the annual fund roll was like a mini major gift fundraiser. Right. So you were you still had portfolio and visits. But I think that was a good thing, you know, because it gave me that exposure. What I was not good at and I wish I had been smarter about was kind of what you said. Uh, Having a system for it and just asking similar questions, feeling empowered to do that and knowing that that had value and then aggregating that and saying, uh, you know, leadership, associate dean, VP, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, This is what we're this is what we're seeing from from our donors now. Um, They as maybe we've come to realize I've come to realize over time, leadership often has a skewed view of Mm -hmm. what the donor base is thinking or feeling.
0: Right. And the reason they have a skewed view, and why I wish I would have done this earlier, is because leadership will talk to to some donors, uh, which could be their spouse, or it could be their mother-in-law, or it could be a friend who came to an event, or it could be a board member, right? And then those people will say, you know what, at that event, wh- whoever gave that one speech uh you know, that was really off-putting. Or like, or your website, I really don't like it. And then leadership comes back to you. Donors are saying that our website is terrible or donors are saying that they don't like to get direct mail. You're like, oh, okay. Now, if I was armed with the fact that, I, that I've that i surveyed and spoken to 50 to 100 donors, then I could go, um, yeah, some donors might be saying that, but here's what... <laughs> Here's what more donors are yeah. saying, right? Um, yeah. Exactly. And if you have- Or representative. Yeah, if you have group, the, yeah. the same questions of 100 donors- um rather than different questions of a hundred donors like if you ask the, sort of the same set of questions um and you and you're consistent with it you will actually see themes and you can you can you still get messy qualitative data but it'll tell you a much much better story much high definition you'll get a high higher definition picture than just talking to you know one donor
1: and if you're a young fundraiser and you happen to be running a, a calling operation, either volunteer or student or whatever, um, you are I know that's not a very glamorous role. And maybe organizationally, people look down at you. You are sitting on a goldmine of this type of insight. Yeah. So, again, if I were starting um, and I did you know a fair amount of calling and outreach in this way too, I would have – I would have made that part of my job, even if nobody told me to do it.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, I don't know if it would have gotten me into trouble. Um, I got into trouble in different ways, <laughs> but um, that you know is something that that I would have done. I, I share that too. Yeah. Um, Mike, you've shared that you th- not that you now think that you are paying a lot of attention to the technical aspects um like i don't know the ask string maybe the i i don't know if it's uh, also the the aspects of direct response uh, you know technicalities um where how do you feel about that now about that time you spent doing that
0: so we did an episode on technical players versus relationship players and early on yeah early on people like yeah in fundraising i focused on being a really good technical player and uh, and this isn't a regret because it served me very well later on, but I wish I would have mm-hmm. obsessed or focused less on building a better ask string, and more on the strength of the relationship with donors. And I'm picking yeah. I'm picking on the on the ask string here, not because I think that that's like a particular sort of piece we shouldn't be thinking about. Um,
1: hey, it's important, and there's probably money that you can be you know raising. But yeah, I get your point. Yeah,
0: I'm just using it as as a bit of an example here. Um, now, if the strength of the relationship with donors was very strong, the ask string almost doesn't matter. Um, there you go. That's um, it, it's just an it's just well, a, it's just an order of importance thing.
1: And so, something I learned, Mike, is like I was reading through major gift contact reports. And like so, sometimes the ass would be so crummy, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'd obsess about the, the where it was going, <laughs> the formatting, everything that led up to it, the response device. And then here you have a major gift officer kind of texting a donor saying, "Hey, your <laughs> gift is due. Thank you." <laughs> um, and that was, you know. And then it happened. Yeah. So I, I got my second doubts too. Um, I had a, I have a story from a, a board member at the Baltimore Symphony who who taught me a lesson there which I didn't understand for a number of years. And I was telling him about some of like this stuff that like the technical stuff that you and I obsessed right. about. Um, and he told me he looked at me and he said, "Lewis, if the message, ma- you know, if the message if it resonates with people, nothing else matters. If it doesn't resonate, you know, your anything else you do is just going to be kind of doomed for failure." Um, And, you know, it's not necessarily the message. I think it's more like the relationship. Yeah. But there there was something there.
0: No? Yeah, and there is a a time and a place where, especially in acquisition, right, where you don't have a relationship with a person. Um,
1: Yeah, that's that's a good observation. And where
0: small details like that can make a big difference. And to be clear, we still obsess over those things today, and and we still put a ton of thought and care into direct response. But um, Mm -hmm. as the fundraiser, I... I wish I would have invested more in the relationship earlier, um, rather than perfecting the direct response part of the relationship. And and I think direct response can totally be relational. I'm not I, I I'm not saying that's transactional and something else is because I've also met a lot of major gifts officers who were very transactional, and I've gotten yeah I've gotten gifts in the thousands of dollars that were very transactional. Um, And then gifts into hundreds of dollars that were very meaningful and and relational. So I'm not trying to make a distinction there. Um, But I I wish I would have focused on the actual strength of the relationship um, ahead of getting some of the technical details just right.
1: So, and Mike, you've grown so wise over the years. It's um, wonderful <laughs> to be around this current version of you. But do you, I want to go in the defense of the young Mike Dirksen. Yep. Do you think this was in part maybe not all your fault, but just based on how, they're gonna, how nonprofits are structured where you have like the annual fund direct response yeah. people in one room and the do- people who talk with donors in another yep. room? And you're not really supposed to do it. No? I would
0: have been stepping out of bounds had I been talking to donors for sure. Um, and, mm-hmm. and that actually goes to the next thing that I wish that I would have done differently, which is realize that you're the CEO of you. And mm-hmm. I want to get into
1: that. That was That's um, huge. I mean, we, we should just spend an episode. Yeah,
0: because you you just touched on that too, saying that that you got in trouble at jobs for doing stuff you shouldn't have been doing. Um but I wish early on in my career, I would have realized um, nobody is going to sort of give you leadership opportunities just like that. And nobody is going to involve you just like that. Like, you really are the CEO. Like, Mike Dirksen is the CEO of Mike Dirksen. And seeing myself as a contributor in the company um, and, almost de- and almost like... <laughs> demanding of myself to think like the CEO of the company and be like, okay, I need to know how budgeting works. I need to know how major gift giving works. I need to know, um, you know, we're prospecting over here and then a major gift officer goes out. But how does that work? And how are we choosing who we're going to approach? And even on the direct response end, while I was doing a lot of the creative and writing, um, somebody else was doing the data. And, like, why are we, oh, like, including Superlapse donors here or not including them? How are we thinking about this? Um, and then even mm-hmm. talking to the donation entry team, which I rarely talked to because they weren't on my team. But, like, I should have been hanging out there and being like, no, I need to read every reply. What did they write? <laughs> What's on the reply form? Uh, you and I talked about that, right? Um, but just yeah. just like realizing that you are in charge of of your own growth and your own potential and you are your own company that another organization has hired to help them, even if it's as an employee or as a team member or whatever it is. At the end of the day, you're in charge of you. And now I tell every fundraiser, if you're not part of the budgeting process, you know, life's too short to work for an organization that doesn't get that. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, and priorities often are expressed through where the dollars go. Like, I think you said that. Um so th- this is what happens when I spend too much time around Mike Dirksen. I start saying the same thing he says. Um so uh, thanks to And Mike. vice versa. But there's another piece to the to the CEO of you idea mm-hmm. which is sometimes and I wish you know I had realized this but it's not enough to just do great work. People have to know you're doing great work. Uh, so, it you know, it's not just kind of tooting your own horn all the time, but there is a way to do it that provides value and it's kind of informational. Um, but where your kind of excellent work doesn't just kind of die, you know, in your desk or in your department yeah. um, and it can influence other people. So we were just talking about this a second ago. So if you're running a calling operation or if you're in a position to or you just did a donor survey, Kind of off the side of your desk that needs to be distributed. Um, so I guess it's a distribution issue, right? You just said, Well, you have to do these things and go, go talk to the donor entry mm-hmm. team and all of that, but maybe you have to take those insights, turn them into something, and kind of shop them around. Um, yeah, even internally,
0: yeah. I mean, and and, and there's you're so right, there's a lot of ways to add value to people, like if you did a survey. And it turns out that donors really don't like the online giving process. It's clunky. It's ineffective. Um, You know, donation care keeps like forwarding you emails of donors who tried to make a donation and it didn't go through. So you've talked to donors and now you can go use that insight, go to donation care, donation entry, whatever and have a chat with them about how an improved website process might make their work easier, <laughs> right? Now, using those insights, you're framing it as, hey, I did these insights. This is what our donors are saying. Um, if we're improving the process, let's improve it for you as well. Um, so it, it's yeah. building, it's becoming a relationship player, right? It's internally. Yeah. Um. Exactly promoting your work. Um, I I wish there was a better way for that. Not promoting as in and look at me, look look what I did, um. But it's sharing exactly. sharing your work, right, and letting other people participate in that.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, and you know I think also it's promotion, it's distribution, um, it's also a little bit of you know, uh, letting uh, people see where uh, the credit is due. So, um, you know, uh, organizations, maybe especially large or small organizations can be political and there can be people who want to um, use your great work, especially if you're a junior employee, um, to advance themselves. So, you know, I think you can do it in a non-obnoxious way, in a really helpful way, Mm -hmm. but that also says, hey, I started this, you know, that's okay. I'm not taking the credit, but, you know, Let's just say that what, you know, and I think young, you know, especially if you're a young fundraiser, I know, you know, when I was, you just don't feel confident yeah. in doing right. that. You know. I um, I wonder if there's
0: a specific thing that that you would do differently, even from like maybe three years ago. Like, is there something that, that just mm-hmm. like recently over the last two years sort of changed for you? Yes. Where you would be like, no, like in 2022, here's what I would do.
1: Yes, and I got asked this question by um, a CEO that I think reached out to both of us, Mike, and in the context of if you were starting a nonprofit organization, right? What would you do? Um, and it's interesting because my answer went in the in this same direction that you're asking me, which is I would start and I hate to say this, with the community first. I wouldn't worry so much about building a fundraising function because typically a fundraising function is going to be focused on solicitation. And if you don't have that community, um, it's just going to be really hard for people and they're going to fail and they're going to churn in a year and a half and you're going to be you know where everybody else is in the sector. Um, so... I would focus on that those types of activities that build groups of engaged people that you can then fundraise with, right. you know. Um, or, you know, just kind of uh, uh, you can th- then involve in funding significant projects at your organization. But, like, that's what I would do differently. Uh, you know, I don't know what role I would need to be, like, to you know, to to have this approach because it would kind of involve a little bit of a reorg probably, or revaluing of the engagement arm of the organization. Uh, but I think this has turned into what for me is a critical priority, really, yeah. and especially looking at kind of what seems to be coming toward us, uh, you know, economy, sociopolitical wise. I, I feel like this should be like a huge priority now for nonprofits.
0: Yeah. When did you? When did you have that insight? Was that a COVID thing?
1: I think, yes, because I realized that technology has facilitated this type of community building and made it much cheaper. I mean, I think we can say that, right? Mm-hmm. You just need Zoom and, and you know, a good head, <laughs> somebody that is a content and a thought leader at the nonprofit. Yeah. Um so that's that's a- this this gentleman <laughs> yes, this gentleman asked us um, you know w- what would be your second hire after the CEO in a nonprofit that's starting? Well, I said, well, I would just do th- first things first a th- content leader, a, an expert in whatever the nonprofit it's about. If it's a research, if it's education, if it's healthcare, if it's um, r- you know religious, um, a true thought leader, a content expert that's able to communicate well.
0: Yeah. A subject matter expert who's also kind of has the the natural abilities of a of a storyteller or a marketer or or sort of connector yeah
1: I think so i, I mean I, I went a little bit long on the answer what w- yeah. what would you do in the last three years
0: it's it's very similar very similar to you, which is um, I realized over the last two years that it's not about what is hard to do. You're just choosing what your heart is. So um, mm-hmm. it is hard to, exactly. to build. Uh, what you just talked about, like to build this this broader community, takes a while to build, right? Uh, and it might feel hard. You got to be engaged every single day trying to build this community. And sometimes it might feel like a ghost yep. town and it might feel like you're the only one who cares about this and are putting in, is putting in the work, right? That's mm-hmm. hard. Um, it is also hard to one day wake up and two of your three major donors have left, and you've got nobody. <laughs> That's also hard. <laughs> um, so you're you're just saying how you're it just is. choosing your heart, right? Um, and so yeah. I, I would I would much now I would I would focus more so on building a broader community of engaged people. Um, and I have become a lot softer on attribution and some of the intangibles mm-hmm. that you can't really measure. Um, where before I was pretty hardline direct response, like, no, if it's not in the numbers, you know. It's not real. Yeah, why would you engage in that if that's not a revenue producing activity? And over the last, mm-hmm. you know, three to four years, um, I've become a lot, I, my view on that has changed a lot. Um, where I actually believe in brand building, I don't believe in brand building in doing brand campaigns. <laughs> Um, or anything like that. I just believe a lot more in sort of the intangibles of uh, of of a fifty dollar donor having a baby, and you sending them
1: something, um, and doing that for maybe a hundred thousand people. Yeah.
0: Can you take that to the bank? No. Maybe one day you will. You won't know it.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. That's so interesting. Um, I I find that when. You don't really know the rules of the game, um, which is kind of what you're saying. You just don't know what's going to go where. The having a values based approach mm. is seems to be the smartest way, you know, to to act. Um, I'll give you an example: um, SEO and kind of optimizing websites so that they show well on Google, etc. Um, Google was at the same time was also offering their own kind of website builder product, you know, and I always thought that it was so confusing and everybody was trying to optimize every little thing, yep. you know, and it seemed to me that for most people just having like a values based approach of just trying to make your website clean, look at the Google website builder um, and have those, you know, kind of having those, val- those values, right, of good navigation, clear information that that was for most people the best way to go, unless you have like gazillions of dollars to invest in yeah. like attribution and research and all other types of stuff, right? So yeah, um, yeah, and of course, anyhow, the, and, um, and the
0: rules of the game changed, right? Like they change they change a lot when you're talking about Google and SEO. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> um, true.
1: Exactly. And
0: and and yeah, um, I I've, I've got one more thing I would do differently, and then I want to hear. But, I want to hear from you as well. But I would awesome. I, I would spend less time looking at other organizations and what they're doing. Because I spend a lot of time looking at other organizations, trying to reverse engineer what they were doing, getting myself on their lists, uh, which I still do. Like, to be clear, I'm on a ton of lists and I love it. Um, and and I, I, <laughs> I love getting phone solicitations. I love when canvassers come to my door um which is finally picking no, up again no. i kind of miss them um,
1: <laughs> it's a good thing you live in canada and, and you have better privacy laws because saying this in public you know <laughs> would be dangerous
0: right yeah and and to be fair like we get a lot less than of that in canada than than you do in the us um but i would i would spend less time and this goes back to like there's a common theme here i would spend less time looking at what others are doing and more time hanging out in places where our donors are hanging out in um, because what I thought other organizations were doing, where I was like, oh, that must be working, because surely they wouldn't be doing that. Um, well, it turns out even big shops half the time don't know what they're doing.
1: <laughs> You've learned that over time, right? And the way decisions get made is just people in a room, and, you know, they, it, there's a lot of just, do I like this person? <laughs> Am I going to support them?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um. Uh, how about you? We've got um. We've got room for a few more insights. Is there anything else that? Um. Maybe I'll frame it a different way to end it off here. If there's like a very young Luis Diaz who is starting and fundraising today, and they're coming to you, um. What 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 sort of that's, what sort of pitfalls would 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 you advise them to sort of avoid?
1: That's a really dangerous question, Mike, because. Quite honestly, I'm not even sure I'd s- tell them that a nonprofit is the only path that they have to make an impact. You know, so it, I'm assuming that this is a person like I was that wants to uh, make a difference. Um, yeah, I, and also make a I living. So agree with you, you know name. and support a family. Yeah. Um, right now. And, you know, it's kind of goes back to that same advice that um, I gave to the CEO is I would start with the community. You don't need a nonprofit, you know, really to build it. So if you can't find one where this is acceptable or, you know, something they want to invest in, um, you technically could do it, uh, you know, (laughs) but... I mean, I, I think that would be my, my main piece of advice, which is obviously you need to make a living. So um, try to find an uh, organization where this type of work is valued. Um, something else I discovered over the years is that the relationship with your boss is pretty critical to how happy you're going to be. Um, so pay a lot of attention to that. Try to meet them in maybe informational interviews, like kind of a non, you know, non A process where there's no pressure, but try to meet the real people um, beforehand. Um, And then don't feel like you have to wait for permission to start doing these things or to start, uh, you you call it brand building, you know, it's also, it can be as simple as you're discovering interesting stuff, you're talking with interesting people, and you want to share that both internally and maybe externally, if you know, you feel up to it, like don't wait for permission. Um, I think that would be it in a nutshell. I'm not sure it's great advice, Mike.
0: Yeah. Don't wait for permission. I mean, you, you give yourself the permission to show up, right? Um, that goes back to you being the CEO of you. Um, I, I totally agree with you, by the way, that I, that, that being in a nonprofit is not the only way to have an impact. Um, it's it's no longer in my view sort of the obvious choice for people who are who are minded toward making whatever making a significant and meaningful sort of contribution in the world um that doesn't have to happen through a nonprofit and in fact i would warn people that a lot of nonprofits are highly dysfunctional and and that that there is um that, that exists everywhere um but but they're they're Sometimes the incentives are different um, depending on what kind of, whether you're a nonprofit, for profit, association, whatever. Um, the structures breed more dysfunctionality in certain kinds of nonprofits. And we can get, sometimes we can get into organizational design and organizational structure and how that impacts fundraising. Um,
1: yeah. But I mean, for the young fundraiser, Mike, would you agree? Just say, Kind of don't just look at whether you're excited about the job that you're applying to. Look at the broader context. Uh, who's going to be your boss? What the organization yeah. cult, culture is like? Does that match what you think is important? And maybe we both it looks like advise them. Don't just think of you know getting as much money from your donors. Are they investing in yeah. kind of other relationship building pieces? Because that's just going to set you up for success.
0: Especially if this is the first job, mentorship is huge. So e- oh, even huge- less so. What kind of cause am I going to go work for? Obviously, you have to have some sort of interest in the cause. But like, who's going to be my boss? Um, who are the who who are the people I'm going to get to be exposed to through this job? Right? Um, there's something called the proximity principle, which is um, you you want to get close to the kind of person you eventually want to be, or the kind of job you eventually want to have, um, and just by being close or in that orbit you're automatically more likely to sort of um, be on that path because you're going to learn from them, you're going to be exposed to them, you're going to get to talk to them sometimes. Um, If you show value, like you can really sort of fast track um, that sort of a career path if you want it. And if you don't know what your career path is, this is a broad blanket sort of statement that won't apply to everyone, but start in a call center of of the university. Um, if that applies to you, um, you're going to learn so much. I wish I would have done that. That's another thing that I wish I would have done differently.
1: And reach out to people, right? Reach out to people like Mike on LinkedIn to me. Ask, and it's the same advice I I give people in the donor participation project. Show up, ask good questions, you know, that show thought and that you've reflected on things. Um, And that... Honestly, we'll take you to some great places and you'll learn what it is that you like and you don't like along that way. Um, you know, somebody told me dress for the job you want to have. Right. And I think, you know, dressing is very superficial. Right. And here I am in my in my basement with a donor participation project T-shirt. But um, I think that reflects that kind of be around the people that you want to be, that, you know, you want to turn into yeah. that. That's very good advice. Well, this has
0: been awesome. another episode of the Donor Growth Podcast. We are thinking of, of becoming a little bit more participatory. And so if you would like to come on the show, maybe we can do a little bit of on-the-spot consulting. Uh, maybe Lewis can help you think through some community-building ideas. Um, give us a shout. On LinkedIn, Lewis Diaz and Mike Dirksen, uh, you can also find the Donor Growth Podcast newsletter on LinkedIn that Lewis publishes every Thursday. Thanks for hanging out with us.
1: Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Donor Growth Podcast, brought to you by the Donor Participation Project and buildgood.com.
0: If you found today's episode helpful, please help us by sharing it with a friend, posting about it on LinkedIn, or giving it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify,
1: or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, remember that donor growth is possible.